We are in Paul's epistle to Timothy, his first epistle to Timothy. Uh, We started on this a number of weeks ago. I just want to remind us of a few things, who Paul is. I know that we all know who Paul is. He's an apostle, and just remember that he was an apostle not only called by God, but commanded to be an apostle by uh, Jesus Christ himself. Uh, and he's writing this letter to Timothy, who was his protege. He's, a, he's been a disciple of Paul for a number of years. Paul has left him behind. He's moved on from Ephesus. This is without a doubt on his second missionary journey. He's moved on. He's gone into Macedonia and possibly into Greece at this point. But he's, he's writing Timothy, and it's a letter uh, that has many purposes in it. One of those is to encourage Timothy uh, in the work that, uh, to continue the work that Paul left him there to do. Uh, and the other thing is this, is I hope you've seen this already, and that is one of the, the, the main thrusts that we find in this letter is Paul making a distinction between uh, those who are truly called of God to preach and teach the gospel uh, and those who are not, uh, very often leading folks off into unbelievable heresies and fantasies and unbiblical things and in, in, in all of that. Uh, but just let me, I'm going to read the first uh, probably seven verses. So if you would read these with me or follow with me. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, according to the commandments of God our Father and of Christ Jesus, who is our hope to Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father uh, in Christ Jesus our Lord, as I urge you upon my departure from Macedonia, remain on at Ephesus in order that you may instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrines, or it can be false doctrines, nor to pay attention to myths and endless genealogies which rise uh, to mere speculation rather than furthering the administration of God, which is by faith. And this is where we were last week. But the goal of our instruction says this is the purpose of why we teach. The goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. For some men, straying from these things, have turned aside to fruitless discussion, wanting to be teachers of the law even though they do not understand either what they are saying or the matters about which they make confident assertions. I just want to speak a little bit in regard to verse 5. We, we went through there last week, but I want to, want to add some things to it. I've pondered all week because this is where Paul says that uh, the purpose of our instruction is love from a pure heart, a good conscience, and sincere faith. And I've been pondering all war- week exactly what is the, uh, uh, the object of the love that Paul is talking about. Now, we would say things like this. We would say, certainly, it's the love of God. It's got something to do with the love of God because that is the beginning of the gospel and, it, and, and all of that. And, uh, and we love God because God first loved us. There's also a love that we have for other people. So, I mean, is that what Paul is saying, that the, the, the purpose of it is we love other people and therefore we teach with these things? There certainly is a place for all of that, right? We understand that, that, but that the, both of those two things are a big part of this picture. You can't get away from that. But I want to challenge this with something else that I think is very pertinent to the conversation here. And what I would say is this, and, and, and remember, you have to let context determine for you the meaning of things. 
And the context here clearly is this, is the word of God. The rightful teaching of the word of God. And what I would say to you is this, is to do that by necessity, you must in fact love it. Now, we understand this, that there's a sense in which we as Christians, we're all called to teach. Parents teach children, etc., 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 right? We understand, however, that this particular epistle is directed at church leadership, at pastor teachers, if you want to classify people like me as such and Don as such. This would apply most specifically to Don and I uh, as we're gathered in this room this morning. We are hosting an examining committee this week. We've got four guys coming. Let me tell you, that is a very great workload <laughs> to try to do four ordination exams in one day. It's going to take from sunup to sundown if everyone does well. If, if they don't do well, then it may be a very short day. But let me just tell you this. One of the first things we're going to do, the first thing we always do is just we get to know them a little bit, you know, and all of that. But when we get into the academic part of it, the very first thing we do is we test them in, in, in English Bible, in Old Testament and New Testament. And their understanding uh, of the Word of God as it's presented to us in the Holy Scriptures. We're going to have all kinds of questions for them. But there's one question that, uh, that probably needs to be asked above every other question. And that question is, do you love the Word of God? Do you love the Bible? Now, if they say no to that, then that's just kind of the end of the discussion. You know, then we'll get to go home early. <laughs> but if they say yes, there's going to be a follow-up question. The follow-up question is going to be this, and that is, okay, you love the Word of God. Can you tell us how you take that and you've actually applied that principle to the way that you're going about your studies and et cetera and et cetera and et cetera? For instance, how many times have you read the Bible in your lifetime? Are you involved in a regular studying through Scripture where you are reading through it all the way through it and studying, not just reading, but studying as you go? And when you reach the end, you start all over again, and that's something you perpetually do for your whole life, and you've been doing that all through seminary and, and et cetera, et cetera, right? Well, what you'll find is this, is there's a large percentage of them that haven't done that. There's a large percentage of them that are not even involved in a regular reading and studying through it's really kind of a scary thing. I mean, what you want to say to them is this, is basically you love the Word of God. You really love the Word of God. Are you demonstrating that in ways already? Have you memorized parts of Scripture? Now, one of the neat things, when I was in seminary, there was a, there was a guy named Roger Nicole. He was in his 80s when I had him in, in 
it was funny. We, we took accelerated courses from him sometimes, and we would take breaks, and he would go in his office and take a 10-minute nap, and then he'd have somebody come waking him up. <laughs> and he, he'd come back and, uh, and teach class. But the word in the seminary was that he had memorized the whole New Testament. And, uh, and what we would do in class sometimes is we would bring things up. We would throw some verse at him, you know, to see if he, would know, he knew where it was. And let me tell you, I never, ever in all of those classes ever saw anybody trip him up. He always knew the answer. How much have I done it? I don't do it. And the thing about it is the older you get, the harder it is to do memorization, right? You, you're right there with me, a lot of you. You understand that. So I just want to challenge the younger people here today is take advantage of this learning curve that you're in right now. One of the most amazing things is me, for me is when I returned to church, when I actually came to faith in Jesus Christ, when I was in my 30s, I still remember the Lord is my shepherd. I still remember the Lord's prayer. And things like that that I had not even thought about for, for, for years and years and years and years. What I would love to hear one of these guys come on Wednesday say would be something like this. The Bible has legs that runs after me and has hands that lays hold of me. Martin Luther. That's what I'm hoping for. Another thing I want to say before we move on is this. is I'm talking about loving all of the word of God, not just the portions that people tend to like and love and choose and pass over the more difficult things and you know, and all of that. Some people ask me why I teach, preach the way I do, and I do topical stuff very often. I usually go through books, and one of my main reasons for it is to protect you from me, to protect you from my biases, the things that I like the most, and skip over the things that are difficult, because let me tell you, there are passages that when you do it this way, you come to passages in every book that you would rather not preach on, because they're, they're really hard. So there are times when I'm forced to preach on topics or preach on sermons that I would probably never preach otherwise. Let's just be honest. People tend to pick and choose what they like, and they seem to kind of ignore things that they don't like. Well, you might be sitting there this morning saying, you know what, I just love all the Bible. There's nothing in the Bible that just doesn't tickle my fancy. I just adore it. I love every word, every theme, everything it teaches. And let me say, if, you, if that's your mindset, what I'd say, you probably haven't read the whole Bible yet. Because there are parts of it that are difficult. They are really, really difficult for sinners like us to really understand properly. One of the main things of this epistle is Paul is addressing those people who presume to be called or commanded by God to be pastor teachers in a vocational kind of a sense of the word. But he hasn't actually called them. See, we'll see this in this next verse. This is my translation. For some, missing the mark, have turned away to fruitless talk or conversation or discussion.
can't have a dank? He's here. I know he is. Uh, oh, he's, he's not in the room right now, so I can talk about him. That'll make it easy. He started, uh, just a few years ago, he started doing long-range rifle shooting target competition. And he seems to be pretty, pretty good at it. He comes, you know, he places in the top few very often in these, these meets. Uh, we understand things that have to do with shooting something. Like Stephen is really good at a bow and arrow. He was, he was going to state competition at one point, and even national competition. He was offered a go, and he decided not to pursue it and whatever. But he could put a, a, an arrow. He actually has two. They call them Robin Hood arrows, where he actually put one arrow into another arrow. He still has those. That we understand this, that targets typically are concentric circles, and there's something in the middle called the bullseye. And when you're aiming, what you're trying to do every single time is hit that bullseye. It's, it's okay. It's, it's bad if you miss all of the circles. If you get at least some of the circle, that's pretty good. But what you're trying to do every time is hit it dead center. Right? Whether you're shooting a gun or shooting a bow or, or whatever. And, and what I want to challenge us with this idea is this... It's what is the mark that we're shooting at when we are studying, we're meditating on, we're reading through the Bible. What is the mark? The mark is this, and that is God's truth. God's truth has been revealed to us by his word. That needs to be what we're aiming at every time we pick the Bible up. The bullseye. The problem, and there must be a real issue with this going on in Ephesus. Paul just doesn't write things. He's not saying if this ever happens or perhaps that's going to happen or whatever. These are real things that are, that are happening in Ephesus, and Timothy's having to deal with it. There are people that are teaching false things, and they're doing it under the umbrella of God. Now, let me just say this. I'm going to ask you this. How many fruitless discussions do you think are going on in the church in general today? Discussions that may go on and on and on, and they're never going to lead anywhere because we already have it in the Word. God's already answered all the questions associated with these things. There's no way. It's not going to change. We've mentioned a few as we were talking about false doctrines. And I know this makes some people cringe. But we understand that women are not to be elevated to the the position of pastor or teacher. But is there obviously a lot of discussion going on about something like that in the church today? Now, please don't think that I am against women. I am not. I'm not a male chauvinist pig, okay? <laughs> what I'm telling you is God's word makes it very clear that this position is for men and men only, not women. There is no biblical argument, really, for a woman taking up that position. There's none. It doesn't exist. 
And yet we know there are churches where women are dominating the leadership today. The divorce rate, the last time I checked, is still slightly higher amongst church-going people than it is the population at large. Doesn't that blow your mind? We need to understand that there are biblical grounds for divorce. But we also understand this, for it to be as high as it is, there are a lot of people in there that are just kind of making up the rules themselves, getting divorces for any reason. I love being a part of the PCA. I love going to Presbytery. I love going to General Assembly. Some of you may think I'm crazy, but I really do. It's always refreshing to me. It's always enlightening to me to go and sit with my brothers, to have a common understanding of the very roots of everything. And the neat thing about it is this, is we don't sit around having fruitless discussions about things that are very clearly already determined by Scripture. See, there's some wanting to be teachers of the law. This is verse 7. Even though they do not understand either what they are saying or the manners about which they make confident assertions. To teach requires knowledge. Knowledge grants understanding. And some other things, too. I mean, it's not just knowledge, but knowledge, you have to have knowledge to have understanding, right? I want you to know something. There's nothing wrong for someone wanting to be a teacher of the law or to be a pastor or teacher. There's, There's nothing wrong with someone wanting to do that. As a matter of fact, Paul will soon say pretty soon is a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, it is a fine work he desires to do. He's encouraging men to pursue it. The problem comes when someone pursues it when they're not really called by God or commanded by God, as we said in the beginning, to do that. I mean, wanting's part of it, but wanting is not the end of it. You see, every believer is granted spiritual gifts. You've heard people use the phrase the charismatic church today, and I want you to understand that every church is a charismatic church if people are expressing their spiritual gifts in that body. Those gifts that relate to instruction and preaching are not granted to everybody. But neither is hospitality, neither is uh, faith is, is described as being one of those spiritual gifts. We all have faith, right? I hope everyone here has faith. And matter of fact, you do have faith in something or someone, period. There's no exception to that. But just remember, you know, when Paul talks about these spiritual gifts, it is for a purpose. The purpose of every spiritual gift that he's given to you and he's given you spiritual gifts is not for your, better, your well-being yourself. It's for the edification and the building up of the church of Jesus Christ. That's why he's gifted you. 
Very often what we want to do is say, well, I like to do that, therefore that must be what God has gifted me to do. Let me tell you, you are the worst judge of, of what spiritual gifts God has given to you. You're probably the last person you need to listen to. What you need to do is listen to what other people say. Listen to what other people say. Because they see those spiritual gifts expressed in reality. Does that necessarily mean that God spiritually gifted you to do something you absolutely abhor doing? Probably not. But we can't let our sinful self determine, you know, this all by itself because it will lead us astray every single time, right? Uh, and this is an area where we have to be especially and particularly careful. See, what we're doing on Wednesday is by the... By not the help of God, the doing of God prayerfully and hopefully through us. The purpose of that meeting is to determine whether God has actually called this man to the preaching ministry. It's a hard, it's a hard thing to do. I mean, it really, really is because to even be there, you've already got a master's degree from seminary 90% of the time. Some guys have been in the ministry for some time before that. Not in an official ordained mechanism or something like that. But it's hard to do. But that's, pri- that's primarily. So you need to be praying for those committee members. That's what we're doing. We're, we're sitting on God's behalf. And we're trying to determine if these men really have been called by him, commanded by him to take up the mantle. See, there's a difference between wanting to do something and being called by God necessarily to do it. We had a guy a few years ago that would just, he just knew that God had given him the, church, the, the gift of leadership. Give me a job to do. I want to lead. I want to lead. I want to lead. So finally, we gave him a leading job, and what he did was he took a group of 20 or 25 people and turned it into a group of five in about five minutes. See, he was convinced he had the gift of leadership, but when he was given the opportunity, he demonstrated very quickly on, he just flat didn't. You know, we said when we said, we had, well, what happened? His whole thing was, well, it's not me. I'm leading. The problem is with them. They're not following So he's he's still listening to himself, not to what other people are saying. But this is a particular area where we have to be very, very cautious and careful. uh, That we understand this, to be an effective teacher of the Bible, you have to have an extensive knowledge of the Bible, at least one that goes well beyond what most of the people sitting in the pews are going to have. Right? That's what we're looking for. So be praying for these four men. I wish I had their names. I don't have them with me. 
right now. So just be praying for these four men because this, this is a big deal. This is one of the biggest deals in their whole lifetime. Again, one of the issues here was in Ephesus, there were people who had taken up the mantle of teaching who were not supposed to. And what Paul is saying here is they don't even understand what they're teaching. And now they're going out and they're trying to teach other people. To be able to impart knowledge to other people, you have to have that knowledge yourself first. Right? Some people think we overeducate our pastors. There are a lot of denominations that don't really do any, any education at all. But when you look at something like ELI, that tells us, that gives us an example of how these church leaders, they're already church leaders, they're already pastors, they understand they need help. They need to learn. They need that knowledge. And I would imagine a lot of them, as you're going through and teaching them things, they're going, you know what, I've been teaching that wrong all these years. I'm so thankful that someone has come now and helped me understand what the truth really is. And how well would most of you do if I just plopped a a chemistry textbook down in your lap and said, okay, teach it. teach it that basically happened to me (laughs) now you know i have a degree my degree is actually in biology it's not in chemistry even though i love i'm a great lover of chemistry now i love chemistry more than i do biology but let me tell you that came came over a long difficult road one of the reasons i majored in biology because i was scared to death of chemistry and i took the minimum amount of chemistry that i had to have i basically have like a minor in chemistry but i took the least amount that i could just to get through school but god has a sense of humor when i when i uh was was in graduate school i went to work for the department of environmental regulation in their laboratory and and and, and they have a chemistry lab and they have a biology lab and they stuck me in the guess where the chemistry lab. Uh, when I got out of school with my graduate degree, I came back home. I wanted to teach at the, the college in Ocala, so I went and I talked to them. And guess what? They didn't need any biology teachers. They needed chemistry teachers. And then I went to Florida Power, working in nuclear stuff. And then eventually into the position where I was the one who trained the whole chemistry department how to do their job. The problem is I didn't know chemistry very well. And let me tell you, I taught some stuff that was just flat wrong. (laughs) But... See, no one wants to be stupid. No instructor wants to be stupid. They don't want to stand up in front of a bunch of people and say stupid things. People know they're wrong and, and whatever. It's not an easy thing to do, especially when you're talking about how important it is to get this stuff right. So what I had to do is I had to teach myself chemistry because I didn't learn it when I was in school. Most of the chemistry I know today, I taught myself. But 
It takes time. I know people, they believe. You know, you become a believer. What you need to do now is just pick up a Bible and go out and start teaching people. I mean, you have to love that heart because I know people that have been digging up their Bible for a long time and they really thought about trying to teach anything to anybody. I mean, you love that heart. But there's a real potential there of causing all kinds of hurt and harm and damage in the church. James writes these words. Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such we shall incur a stricter judgment. It's not something that anyone should ever lightly enter into. But let me tell you something. Hallelujah, there are people who do. There are men who do. They do pick up the mantle. And they build their own knowledge first. And then they go out and they impart that knowledge to other people. Saw a thing just recently, and the question was, is seminary necessary? Is it really necessary for someone to go to seminary in order to become a pastor? And biblically, you know, you can't say that it most definitively is. You can look at patterns. You can say that, well, look, you hear about Paul. Why did Paul do so well? Paul knew so well because he was so well educated before he became a believer. Did Paul understand what he was, had learned? No. Coming to faith in Jesus Christ was the enlightening thing where Paul was able now to tap into all that knowledge and understanding that he already had. But now he really understood things. And he was ready. Remember when Peter and John stood before the same Sanhedrin that Jesus had not too long before that and was tried and found guilty and, and all of that? It talks about how those men on the high council, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes and the priests, they were amazed at how these fishermen were able to speak. And probably teach them a thing or two. I could say a lot more. But just remember, this is something the church has had to deal with from the very beginning. There have been people who have come along. And let me just say this. Sometimes there are people who do, they teach wrongly. They teach untruth on purpose. That is their mission. That is their desire. Is to lead people astray on purpose. But we understand there's also a group of people who go out and they begin to teach and preach and stuff and they really think they're preaching and teaching the truth. But what they preach and teach has not been weighed in the balance of Scripture. You think about all the cults that are out there today. 
And there, and there are more all the time. And basically what we're talking about here is religions that are perversions of Christianity. Every one of them started with one person who began to teach something very different that would not hold up in the weight of balance, the balance of Scripture if anybody ever bothered to weigh it. They began to teach, and people began to listen, and it began to make sense to them because a lot of this teaching is designed to appeal to the human fallen nature. And the next thing you know, there are entire religions, not just for a short time, but they pass on from generation to generation to generation to generation, perversions of Christianity. You see, this is what Paul is concerned about. Because he knows, he knows how this will all play out. So he's fighting the good fight. He fought the fight everywhere he went. He was a fighter. He had to be a scrapper. Because he fought all the time, tooth and nail. And not only with people outside the church, but people inside the church too. Because he was all about God's truth. God's truth. Why did he write the, 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 the letter to the Galatians? He, because he was ticked off. Because someone had come in behind him. People had come in behind him. They were teaching things that were contrary to what he had taught them. They were teaching them what he, cry, he calls in, 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 in a, 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 another gospel, which in essence isn't a gospel. And you've given up on the real gospel for this garbage which is another other than work salvation all over again. How do you get right to heaven? You keep the rules. You make yourself right. That's probably the greatest perversion of Christianity. Is everything. And the thing that should anger you and I more than anything else is when we see people take the doctrines of grace, take the gospel of grace, and turn it into another form of work salvation all over again. And people do it all the time. And it should get your dander up. It's not only Christianity, guys, that's spreading in Africa. It's Reformed Christianity. Which has some particular distinctives, which are biblical perspectives and distinctives and one of those is the sovereignty of God absolute sovereignty of God and everything even matters of salvation in every nook and cranny it's all him every bit of it people here they're saved they've they've made a decision but you need to understand you made that decision for one reason because God enabled you to make it and without that enabling grace you never would have done it you'd still be lost Amen. Praise team's going to come and lead us.